Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, it is good to be back again with you. Uh, almost every week, we, you know, we were just talking about off the air. It, it feels like I haven't done this in like three weeks. You know, we have those busy seasons uh, sometimes. Yeah, it feels like we've had this uh, long sabbatical or something like that. It, it feels the same way to me. But yeah, we just recorded one last week. It was early in the week, but yeah, yeah. it shouldn't have felt that long. Yeah. Well, by the way, speaking of episodes, today is our 100th episode. And so that's pretty exciting. Um, I was thinking about that this week. And so in four more episodes, right, four more episodes, uh, we will have been uh, airing for two full years. So that's that's kind of neat to think about. Yeah, that's um, that that's quite a milestone. And I'm going to guess I've been on close to half of those episodes. I mean, I I still feel like a relative newcomer. But when you put it in that kind of perspective, um, we've been going for a while. Yeah, I think you've been a year or close to a year. Uh, must must be so something like that. It's yeah, because we because I started we started with the January sixth thing. Yeah, I started okay. as a guest there, and then I started officially sometime in March. Yeah, so, and you came on a couple times. So yeah, really, no. you've 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 definitely been uh, over a year. So that's pretty exciting. Well, um, you know, it's not an, in celebration of the one hundredth episode, but we do have a really important topic today. Um, one that I think is confusing, uh, given yeah. given a lot of uh, today's doctrinal challenges and questions, and that's really the issue of primary, secondary, and tertiary doctrines. Um, when do we divide and and separate uh, fellowship and church, and you know what doctrines uh, can we not give? any any grace on so to speak and what doctrines um you know don't divide us but uh maybe just cause us to have some differences in how we do church um yeah i i think it it used to be clearer right and easier but i think now with the advent of or you know not advent because nothing is really new right old heresies repackage but now with things like critical race theory and uh, you know this uh, the the creeping in of feminism in the church in a in a very bold and different way. I think um, bring up a lot of new questions for uh, today's generation. You know wh- what of these things have to divide us biblically for the sake of righteousness, and what things do we just say? Well, we can agree to disagree on. Right. Yeah, and it, it's it's a test of our theology. And when I say it's a test of our theology, it's not merely what we know. Um, Theology is a lot more than what we know, though that tends to be the focus. But it's also how we prioritize. Um, We all know the Bible in different ways. Um, I would say for what we would call the primary issues, we should see it the same way. We should see um, the gospel the same way. We should see Jesus Christ, his identity, his characteristics the same way. God, his uh, his attributes the same way. You know, so there are things that we should absolutely see the same way. But there is also a lot of room in Scripture for there to be not to say that God intends multiple interpretations, but there are multiple interpretations that can come from um, good and godly people who intend to really understand the the truth of God's word. And so we we have to exercise some discernment over where we can say, well, we just have a difference of interpretation there, and it's not worth dividing over, or whether we have to say, no, that interpretational difference is, it makes the difference in everything, right? Yeah. And then I think in the scriptures, we do see examples of that. And so, our theology is a lot more than just we know what we know, but it's how we prioritize what we know, how we know when to divide and when not to divide, or when to just leave something as really just a conscience or conviction kind of issue. Yeah, absolutely. And and so let, let's start by kind of g- giving some definitions of these things, right? Because I think, you know, I've spent a couple of days throughout the week looking and just seeing how many variations are when you talk about primary, secondary issues. You know, for us, when we talk about primary or, or first level doctrines, you know, what we're going to talk about are core doctrines that are essential to the Christian faith, right? These are doctrines that if you reject these doctrines, you are not a Christian. 
Right. And, and that's what I would mean by primary. Would you add anything to that? Yeah, I, I would agree with that completely. And I think of Galatians chapter one, um, verse seven and eight, when Paul says, um, if uh, let me, I'm looking for it right now, Galatians chapter one, actually verse eight, eight and nine. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. So Paul is drawing some very clear lines right around the gospel. Um, the gospel is what saves. And so if you twist or distort the gospel, you are very much in danger of presenting a false gospel. And so anyone that does not hold to the same gospel that we hold to, um, that is not a Christian. And so that's what we mean by primary doctrine. Um, it is the very essence of who we are as Christians, and it ties very directly into the gospel message itself, or I would say any doctrines that are needed for the gospel to be true. Yeah. Yeah. And the way I typically say that is it's any doctrine that touches the person and work of Christ, right? Yeah. If it touches the person uh, or the work of Christ, we would consider that a primary doctrine. And yes. this is, you know, the, the you may find it worded differently, but this is like the standard understanding of what's primary uh, out there. Um, so, if, if someone's talking about something other than than these types of doctrines, we're not talking about primary doctrines. And that's extremely important uh, yeah. because I think, you know, we see a lot of people breaking fellowship over just things that aren't primary issues, right? They're, they're yeah. calling people unbelievers because they believe in, you know, secondary or tertiary even issues. And that's just not true. Um, now, we've come up with these terms, primary or first level, uh, we don't find that in biblical right. language. But as you read the passage, we do see the teaching, the principle, right? Yes. And so we've just put language so that we can understand these things better, talk about them a little more easily. Um, and so when we're talking about primary issues, you know, we're talking about things that would cause us to uh, break fellowship uh, with people who 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 we would say, you know, we are not brothers or you know. You're not my brother or sister in Christ. We aren't together. We aren't joined. We aren't one. Um, that would eliminate things that we would do with them, how the relationship we might have with them. Uh, but we have to be careful that this is the only category that that would be true of. And so we have to be careful that we aren't making other issues into primary issues that just aren't, right? And you, you read that passage. Uh, you, we kind of talk about these um, in the heart of 1 Corinthians 3.11. You know, the apostles have laid the foundation, right? No one can build on that which was laid and is laid, that's laid on Jesus Christ. And so, th that's what we're talking about here. When people say primary issues, if they understand that rightly, or first-tier issues, we are talking about doctrines that if you do not believe them, it you are not a Christian, okay? Um, and by the way, a lot of the creeds and councils, and many of them form to deal specifically with this level of doctrine. Yes. Right? Uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, go ahead, brother. Yeah, and it's at, at this level that if you uh, believe or are teaching something that distorts the gospel, that's where I use the word heresy and heretic. Um, it's exactly at this level and exactly as it relates to the gospel, or as you said, the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are a heretic if you end up spreading a gospel that is different than the gospel that the Word of God um, spread, gives us. And, and an example I gave to uh, my church this past, uh, just this past Sunday, and I've probably said it here on the podcast many times, look, if you believe there are multiple ways to heaven, including Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. Right. Um, if um, if you're not sure, if you don't believe Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for your sins, and that He just came to lead the way, as some celebrity quote unquote Christians believe, you're not a Christian. You know. So there are very specific things that I see when I hear it. That's not what a Christian is. And so everyone who calls themselves uh, themselves a Christian, it doesn't matter what denomination you're a part of, if they hold to the true gospel, then we are united by that same gospel, regardless of denomination. Yeah. But if there is any kind of twisting of that, even if you're in the same denomination, you're a heretic. Yeah, absolutely. And and so again, uh, when we're thinking about, and, and we should just say this, right? When and it, because we do have to judge doctrine. I mean, this is our duty yeah. uh, as as not just you know for you and I as pastors, but as believers. And so um, and and so we have to do this. But this is an area where, to be quite frank, 
a lot of people are ruled by their emotions and not by the word of God. Um, And so you need to check your emotions at the door uh, when we're judging these things. Um, Just because someone says something that you don't agree with, don't like, or maybe you don't like their tone or whatever the case may be, it doesn't mean that they're an unbeliever. It doesn't right. mean that it's a primary doctrine. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to be able to sit back and ask the question, it does does what someone is what someone's saying or does what someone teach affect the person and work of Christ in a way that's antithetical to the teachings of scripture? If so, that that's a primary issue. So yeah. let, let's just give some common examples and I think that the, the, these are easy, right? Uh, we think about the Trinity, right? If you deny mm-hmm. the if you reject the Trinity, uh, you reject Christianity, you're not a believer. Um, the full humanity and deity of Christ, yeah. if you mess with those things, right? Um, if you reject those things, you're not a Christian. The authority of Scripture, if you reject the authority of Scripture, you're not a Christian. Justification by faith alone. I mean, these are just some of the simple things. Yeah. Um, you know, if you believe that we are saved or we're justified, to use the correct terminology, by anything other than um, faith, then you are not a Christian. You have made void um, the sacrifice of Christ, as Scripture tells us that. So these are primary uh, level doctrines. And, you know, I know floating around, we have a, a bunch of other things that people are trying to put on this level. Sometimes, and we'll get into this, sometimes uh, secondary issues can touch uh, primary doctrines. Yes. But we've got to think carefully through those things because they don't always, right? And we can't try to um, uh, bridge gaps that can't be bridged. Maybe I can say it that way. Right. Um, and, and we'll talk about you know critical race theory and some of those other things, and maybe uh, you can help us all understand, Eki, how those things fit into these uh, these schemes. But um, another example of primary doctrines: the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ has to be believed to be a Christian. So if someone is teaching, um, you know, concerning the death, burial, and resurrection, uh, that's not in line with Scripture, then that is a primary issue, and they are a false teacher. They are a heretic um, if they're denying any of those components. So um, these are should be simple, rather simple issues. Primary doctrine doctrines should be those doctrines which are very basic to the average Christian. I don't know that they are anymore, but they should be. Yeah, and other examples, adding works to the gospel, any belief that works uh, save just as the Roman Catholic Church does, um, you're not a Christian. Um, Anyone who believes, and I provided the prior example that Jesus Christ just came to show us how to live a good life and and, uh, didn't need to die on the cross, um, you're not a Christian. Um, so, yeah, yeah there, there are plenty of examples. You can look at um, a lot of the cult groups that are around. Um, and I remember reading the self-proclaimed, not reading, but meeting the self-proclaimed red-letter Christian who, when I asked her, okay, what is the gospel? Because she claimed that me and, uh, and, and a number of our friends that were all at the G3 conference believed in a false gospel. So, I asked her, okay, so what is the true gospel? And she said, well, God is love. And we need to be spreading the message that God is love. I'm sorry, but she's not a Christian. That that is, I told her, if that's the message, no one is getting saved, because no one gets saved simply by a message of God is love. And I remember posting that one time, even on Twitter, and I actually had some people arguing against that, saying, "No, that that's all people need to know. That is the gospel. God is love, and that's how people are saved." Um, so. Those are all common examples, and I think anyone who has been at a good Bible teaching church, who's been a Christian for any length of time, they they know their Bible. Um, these are these are no brainers. Yeah. These are uh, these are very simple. You mentioned the deity of Christ. As I go through the Book of John, some people might think, well, you know, there's nowhere in the Gospel where we have to say that Jesus Christ is God. Well, if you read through the Book of John, the deity of Christ is a huge deal. And that is one of the primary reasons that the detractors of Jesus Christ would not accept him because of who he claimed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in fact, if, if Christ was not fully God, then we, we have no propitiation. Right? Right. Because man yeah. could never be perfect in every way, uh, which, is, which is why Christ has to be both fully man and both fully God yep. in order for his sacrifice to, to be efficacious. And so, if you deny either his humanity or his deity, whatever Jesus it is that you believe in, it's not Jesus of the Bible, and you're not saved. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, when you think about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid on the cross, the only way he could stand there as a substitute for others is if, first of all, he himself is perfect. So, he was perfect, but if he is just a man, he couldn't be perfect because uh, no man is without sin. And, uh, and if he were somehow theoretically perfect as a human being, but was not God, there is no way he could have survived the wrath of God poured out upon him. Yeah. Remember, at the end of it all, he didn't die from the wrath of God. He yielded up his own spirit. There is not a single person that could withstand the wrath of God, and in particular, the wrath of God that was deserved for all that those who would believe, past, present, future, as well as all of their sins put together. There's no one that could have survived that, but Jesus Christ was actually able to absorb that within a three-hour time period. How that works is beyond our full understanding, but he is an infinite man able to take on infinite punishment within a finite time, and it was only after that that he himself yeah. yielded up his spirit. And it was also Jesus Christ who raised himself up. No man, even if he were perfect, could do that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back and put some scripture on a comment that we we both made about justification by faith alone. So I worded it, justification by faith alone. You uh, gave the other side of it if you add works add to works, salvation, yep. right? So that's right. two sides of the same coin. Galatians 2.21 makes that very clear, right? I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, in other words, your works, the things you do, then Christ died for no purpose. Yeah. Uh, in, in other words, you nullify the work of the cross if you add works to our salvation. So these should be, you know, r- relatively easy for most folks. Now, I think you know, as we kind of move into the secondary doctrines, it, this is where things get muddled, where things get tricky, and I think especially in our, you know, our modern scene where. We have, you know, uh, new on the forefront things like critical race theory and intersectionality. Where do those kind of things fit in to how we deal with people who teach them, profess them? Entire churches and pastors are embracing some of these things. What do we right. do, and where do they fit in? Well, let's start by defining again our, our terms. I would say when we talk about secondary doctrines, that we're talking about. Doctrines that differ among genuine Christians that hinder our full fellowship, but they don't break fellowship. Uh, as an example, Presbyterians and Baptists, right? right. Um, would you add to that definition? Yeah, I, I, let me. Yeah, let me uh, address that because I think that's a great example, Presbyterian and Baptist. And I was just talking to someone today. Um, about the various denominations, he was asking this question. And we know that in every denomination, there are some good and godly people, and there are some people who, quite frankly, are heretics, right? Um, But just by the core beliefs, um, I I agree, Presbyterians and some of my most faithful brethren, people that I admire the most on Twitter are actually Presbyterians. But um, if given the choice, I would not worship at a Presbyterian church, I would worship at a Baptist church, just because some of the ordinances, some of the views on things, I believe, um, more aligned with Scripture when you take a Baptist point of view. And, and even the whole discussion on what is or is not Reformed, some people get really militant about what is truly Reformed, and really the, the strictest uh, definition of someone who's Reformed would be someone who's Presbyterian, essentially, that, that holds to Reformed theology in addition to being Presbyterian. Um, but also, secondary uh, will also be in terms of um, anything that does not directly touch the gospel, mm-hmm. but are still important enough that you would not necessarily want to worship with that person, yeah. or you would feel that you need to call that person to repent um, of those beliefs. And and so, even within kind of the secondary bucket, um, first of all, let, let's just put this right out there. Secondary does not mean unimportant. Yeah. And, and in fact, none, even tertiary, right? There's no... Right. There, we should make that statement. Yeah, right? There is no doctrine in Scripture that is unimportant. Right, right. But in, in, terms of, um, in terms of actually going to battle, if you will, going into spiritual battle um, versus just letting it go and allowing it to just be a conscience issue, secondary doctrine is not merely just a conscience issue. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. I believe it, it, is, it is clear teaching of Scripture, or at least it's something that if we are convicted that what is true, we, we can't necessarily just go and worship with someone that, that would disagree on some of those items. But even within that kind of secondary bucket, there are some items that are even more pressing than others. Um, almost, I, I almost come up with a 1.5 kind of bucket where the, the, the doctrine itself may not be 
Um, it's not heretical in terms of the gospel, mm-hmm. but if um, if you go in this direction, sooner or later, it's going to touch the gospel. And and one of those areas, I know this is going to be a controversial one, but it's going to be female pastors and teachers, right? So just because a church has female pastors and teachers by itself does not mean that the gospel is a false gospel. They may very well be proclaiming a false gospel, but I think when you look at the history of the church, um, especially in America, Churches that go that way, when they start to compromise mm-hmm. on the male leadership that's required, they start to compromise everywhere else. And before you know it, um, the gospel is gone. Yeah. So I think there are issues that if you compromise on those issues, they will lead you down a path that if left unchecked is going to lead to a false gospel. Whereas if you, for instance, take a Presbyterian view on infant baptism, that by itself is not going to lead you to a false gospel. I just think it's wrong, right? Yeah, and so, so that's I, uh, that. That would be just some yeah. some examples, and and so I think we're so we're talking about what what secondary doctrines are, and and then kind of the point five. If if I understood your point of view correctly, we would say the discernment that goes along with the the, the inherent dangers of those, and and some yeah. are more dangerous than others, right? Right. Um, right. And but it, so it's important for us to to recognize right secondary issues. Do not make people not Christian, right? Right. Uh, the, we're talking about issues of uh, biblical interpretation between believers. So we would not break fellowship uh, with someone as though they were an unbeliever over these issues, but they do hinder full fellowship. And that's the the phrase I used. And what I mean by that is they would affect our ability uh, to be joined together in a local church together. Right. Yep. Um, yep. They, they would affect our membership. They would affect uh, whether we're this, the leaders in the same body, local body or not. So these are kind of those issues. And then within secondary, you have a ton of issues um, that have various levels of danger. But I think what we have to be careful of is that we don't elevate the, the doctrines in and of themselves to primary doctrines. So right, and and right. I know even guys and and I'm gonna you know and I'm gonna I want to speak to some of the the issues today, hoping not to be contentious, not to just be controversial, but to help people who genuinely are struggling uh, to navigate through these things. Um, but but let, let's start with the standard ones, right? So we've already mentioned them. A, a standard known secondary doctrine is the issue of baptism, the meaning and mode. So uh, and the most common example you've already given the difference between Presbyterians and um, Baptists. Uh, R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur, I, I think every, most of our listeners know they were dear friends, both Christians. They could, did conferences together. They played golf together, and they had significant disagreements on major issues, but they were secondary. And yes. primarily among them, at least that you know, on the public face, would be the issues of baptism. You can see, uh, you know, R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur. Uh, you can YouTube it. They did a um, uh, back and forth a debate on the issue, um, and you know, John MacArthur won hands down because he has the Bible on his side. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> we we love our Presbyterian friends, uh, but. So it it doesn't affect us from uh, having deep and meaningful friendships. It doesn't affect us uh, in terms of uh, building personal relationships. Um, It it doesn't affect us doing um, outside work together or conferences, or I would argue even evangelism uh, together in a meaningful way. What it would affect is when we're looking at membership in local churches and leadership in local churches. Um, As much as I love, uh, you know, our, our Presbyterian brothers, um, we don't receive them into membership in our church because mm. you have to be a baptized believer. Now, there's some idiosyncrasies in there. Uh, we also wouldn't allow them in leadership, right? Because there are major issues. You, you would have division in the teaching of the church. Um, and likewise, and vice versa, by the way, yeah, right. vice versa. Yeah, and I was going to say, and, and likewise, uh, you know, they wouldn't let us in leadership, rightfully so, because they believe that yeah. is the teaching of Scripture. So it doesn't create uh, an animosity uh, between, although it certainly has some fierce conversations, um, but it doesn't, we would never call them, we, we, we would never say R.C. Sproul was a false teacher or not a brother, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and and let me just piggyback off that example. I think that's a good example. And it certainly would not prevent me from 
visiting a Presbyterian church and worshiping with fellow brethren yeah. at, uh, at a Presbyterian church, nor would it prevent them from visiting yeah. my church and, and worshiping at, at our church. I, I think we could do that. We could do that comfortably, knowing that the true gospel and, and the true word is being proclaimed. And I think what makes this, I guess, less severe than some of the other examples that we're going to look at is that uh, when we look at what the Bible says about baptism, um, though we fully believe that baptism is immersion, um, there is no master verse that says baptism is only by immersion. We're looking at examples, like we're looking at examples throughout the scriptures where believers who put their faith into Christ, every time it's mentioned, it is immersion into water. So we would appeal to that consistent example throughout the Bible, whereas those who argue for sprinkling or for infant baptism, they would argue from other examples, going back to the Old Testament when it comes to infant baptism, they'll point to circumcision in the Old Testament, and uh, that being just symbolic, and, and really infant baptism likewise being symbolic. So we're really we're both arguing from scripture, and we're arguing from scriptural implications and examples. It's not necessarily the case that either of us are compromising on what is clearly being said. Now, on some of the more serious issues, which are secondary, um, but where they are actually compromising on what the clear word of God says, I would not even worship with them at their church. I wouldn't. I yeah. wouldn't welcome them to come and speak to to the congregation at my church. Um, that kind of thing. So, so even within these secondary yeah. issues, this is one of those where John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. We don't say this just because those two are good friends, um, but because we we see the difference between um, a disagreement over the mode of baptism or whether infants should be baptized baptized yeah. over the issue of male headship. Well, we use them because they're such a public example of yes. the right way to disagree on yeah. on those issues. Yeah. So you talked about baptism. So let, let me just throw kind of a, a, a wrench in the gear here. Um, let, let me give you an instance where differences in baptisms become a primary issue. All right. J just to kind of help folks, uh, yeah. you know, sort through these things. Um, if, if you take the view that baptism um, is regenerate. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, right. Then... Right, you have to forget about baptism. In reality, what you're doing is now adding a work to salvation. So you're touching the the work of Christ. Now that becomes a primary issue. So that's kind of how we have to think through these things. It we always need to follow our doctrine through uh, all, all the way uh, through its implications. Right, uh, and if if the implications of that doctrine is that it changes the gospel, the personal work of Christ then the, the doctrine is heretical. Um, and, and we don't often go far enough. Um, we, we tend to just make sort of very surface uh, judgments, but that would be an example. And there are, right? I mean, the, the Lutherans, for instance, some of the Lutheran uh, congregations would teach uh, regeneration in uh, baptism, just as an example. If, if that's what they believe, then it's not a secondary issue. It's actually a primary issue. Uh, if, yeah, if, right. Right. Anyone, anytime someone makes a non-primary issue into a primary issue, it becomes of primary importance with regards to separation. Um, so, because you're, you're taking something that is not inherently a part of the gospel and making it into a gospel issue. And that's why at that point, it becomes a primary issue. Um, so, yeah. And those examples that you mentioned are, are, are right on. And it's just like, you know, CRT, if someone says, well, you're not a believer unless you actually believe these things. Well, now you're making, you're taking something that's not even in the Bible and turning it into a primary issue. Well, that to me, it, that, that becomes a distortion of the gospel itself. Yeah. And okay. So let's use a, a couple other examples that are maybe easier. And then I want to touch on critical race theory. What do we do with that? What do we do with, um, you know, uh, women, so-called pastors and that sort of thing? Um, female deacons, this is a secondary issue. Um, it, it could arguably be tertiary, but I think it rightfully fits in the secondary uh, category. Um, and, and, and I'll explain why. Uh, and then maybe you have a different view on that. This is one that could be in either one of those or the other, but there is legitimate reason in the text um, for someone to come to the conclusion that there could be female deacons. Now, yeah. if that's confusing to you, we're not going to rehash it. You can go back and look yeah, at a previous an podcast. Yep. Uh, a previous episode where we dive into the Greek text and we kind of explain all of the options there. Um, but, you know, someone may be, you know, uh, so convinced from scripture that, um, you know, the diaconate is, is for men only that they need to find a new church. And I would be I would be okay with that. 
right? Um, because I can see how you can legitimately get to that position in the text, right? Uh, and vice versa. So I, I would put that as a secondary issue. It doesn't make anyone unchristian. Uh, it doesn't mean we, you know, should break friendship or uh, the ability to do outside things together. But it could mean y- you don't want to join that local church, right? Yeah. Because of of the conviction. Um, and and we would get that from the text. So this isn't just about a feeling. Right. This is you look at the text and you say, like baptism, no, uh, this is relegated to men only. Um, I, I don't want to um, be served by this. I don't want to submit to this. Uh, not that they're unbelievers. And, you know, you would just like our breast, we would treat that that church just like we do our Presbyterian brothers in terms of graciousness and understanding um, and that kind of thing. So I I would place female, the female deacons in that category as well. And that comes up here and there. It's not a major issue, but what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. And, And a lot of it comes down to how you're defining a deacon. So in some churches, Deacons really kind of function like elders, where they're providing yeah. leadership and oversight to the church. And when when that's the case, it becomes a more serious issue. Yeah. Um, but when deacons are correctly understood to be servants of the church and nothing more than servants, um, then yeah, to, to me it becomes more of a tertiary issue. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I don't have a problem with with a, with a church that has female deacons that are just serving. Um, and I don't have a problem with a church that says that only men should serve, you know. But um, but if if it's a church that uh, whose deacons kind of function like elders, then yeah, women shouldn't be um, in that uh, in that capacity yeah. operating there. Well, see, there you, there you go. Even in our podcast, I, I would put it secondary. You put it tertiary. Uh, but we'll keep doing the podcast together. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> but but the the point is, wherever you place that, right? It's an issue where well, one is the terms and roles have to be defined, and that's part of yeah. the challenge, yeah. right? Um, you know, I in in our church. Uh, deacons function purely in uh, a serving capacity, yeah. and so I have no problem with female deacons serving in our church. Um, if if we if we had some that you know we could put in that uh, th- that would do that, so I have no problem there. I also would have no problem if someone came and said, "Look, I just I'm this is what I see in scripture. I I don't I don't want right. to join with that." In in my mind, that would make it a secondary issue. And uh, God bless you, brother. I totally understand. I wouldn't join a Presbyterian church. No problem. Um, and, and so we could put that there. Now, you raised another question, which really talk it goes into women pastors, right? If you're talking about um, in the Baptist world, yes, uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the, the biblical definitions uh, and roles of deacons and elders. But if you have a church where you have deacons and they function as elders, right. you had women in that role, well, then you have women pastors. Right. Right. Um, you, you have women who are doing uh, the work in the office of a pastor. Um, and so whatever terminology you want to put on it, that's an entirely different subject. Um, and, and so women pastors. Now, I, I'm going to argue that this is a secondary issue. Yeah. Um, and, and, I agree. But, I, but I'm... I, I don't want to put tears in each of the, these categories, but it's a significant one, yes. um, right? And, and I know that there are, so you've got guys like Al Mohler who would put it in the second category. You've got, um, rightfully so, I think you've got other people who make it a primary issue, but it doesn't fit in the definition of a primary issue. And I right, think this is right. when emotions need to be checked at the door. Yep. Agreed. Just because something is unbiblical and wrong, doesn't mean I can emotionally, um, you know, uh, put it higher up on uh, on the echelon into uh, basically calling someone an unbeliever. Yeah. So can can a woman uh, be a pastor and be a believer? Yes, I think she can. Yes. Um, now I, you could talk about all of that, but I think if you say absolutely not, then you would have to convince me from the text of scripture where just being in sin in and of itself somewhere inherently meant you weren't a believer and you can't do that. Right. Right. You can't do that. Now, I think in a lot of cases that will be true. Right. I think in a lot of cases, women preachers are probably just not saved, Yeah. but it is not because they're women preachers. Right. right? It's because their core doctrines and beliefs, right. Their issues in the primary category uh, yeah and it's and always think, the authority of scripture yes uh, exactly. generally touching on the person and work of christ so that just because that's typically true of women pastors doesn't mean it's that's in and of itself 
right, makes them unbelievers. Yeah, and I would agree with you. When we're talking about female leaders, pastors, overseers, elders, that becomes a very, very serious secondary issue. Um, but we cannot make the blanket statement that just because a woman is fulfilling that role means that she's un- an unbeliever. Now, I will say that over time, someone who truly loves the word, believes in the word, is going to be sanctified by God. We're, yeah. we're going to see a progression where they're becoming yes. more and more like Christ. And and so, I think time often ends up showing whether someone yeah. is truly in the word or not. And so, I would say if someone is maybe a female pastor or elder, it might be because maybe that person was led astray at some point, there was a misunderstanding. I would hope that that person would repent of that yeah. and back off of that and and uh, and, and serve the, the way that God has called that person to serve. Um, if not, uh, watch that person's trajectory. Does that person start to compromise on more issues? Well, if, if there are other issues that person starts to compromise upon, it makes me wonder if they really believe that the Word of God is the Word of God and that it's inerrant as it's written, right? Yeah. So, so th- sometimes those things over time, I think, reveal more serious issues, but by itself, we cannot jump to that conclusion just because yeah. the facts are true, right? Yeah. I, I mean, and e- so even in our camps, you know, we can tend to let emotions drive our theology rather than scripture, and we can't do that. And, and so all those other things are typically true, but I would put, yeah, and so there, a lot of other folks would say that the issue of women pastors doesn't actually belong in any of these categories. Uh, they actually just belong in the category of sin. Uh, I don't agree with that no. because there are people who legitimately argue from scripture albeit totally wrong um and and i've heard and i've heard guys who i think are are really sincere now i you know whatever is um kind of behind the scenes we don't know the lord knows uh but there are there are theologians who um try to make a better argument from scripture than just the feminists do and, and and so that is out there, and so I think we have to recognize it as a secondary issue, um, and, and we also have to realize that look, there you can find examples of women who have been in leadership and even pastors. Um, I think more so in other countries who have you know been exposed to the truth of God's word. They've been explained to it, and you can find testimonies of women who have stepped down, no, no. right? And and so you can't just say they weren't believers um, right. just because we don't see that in result. Now I think you're right. Um, eventually, uh, you, you know those women, if they are believers, will will submit to God's word somewhere down the road. Um, but we may or may not see that personally. So right. so we we've got to cap the emotions there. So I think it does rightfully belong there. But here is the greater issue, and and again. Secondary issues affect our ability to fellowship in local community, right? In a local church. Well, clearly this fits in that category. Uh, if you have a woman pastor, you you're pastorless. You, you just don't have a pastor. Right. So you're in a church with no shepherd, and no one should be in a church with no shepherd. Um, you can't commit yourself to that. You can't submit. There's no one to submit to if that's the case. Um, and, and so it does create significant issues, significant issues, right? And in the moment, um, you know, you have someone who is actively in unrepentant sin, um, you know, and so you, you, you have major issues there. Now, I think if you separate what is common in women pastors, like we've done with just the argument theologically for it, you do typically find almost instantly uh, a rejection of the full authority of Scripture, and normally it comes by the way of rejecting the Apostle Paul. So, if that's true, then you have an unbeliever, but not because it's a woman pastor, because they right. reject right a central tenet of the faith. Um, and so, I don't know. What would you add to that? I think, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because um, people that believe that women can be pastors or elders will come up with different justifications for it. Some will try to justify from the text that, no, that's not what Paul meant. Paul was addressing a very specific um, circumstance or issue or culture or whatnot. So, they'll try to argue that the text doesn't actually teach that. And then there are others that will just simply discredit Paul. And when they discredit Paul, that tells me that they know exactly what Paul is saying. They just don't want to, they just don't want to acknowledge it. So, in some ways, I think that position is actually more honest with the text. And and so, these, these issues... You know, I don't think anyone can actually read 
those letters that we've discussed and come away with any other conclusion than what is the true biblical conclusion. And so that's the danger of, of those who hold these positions and refuse to repent off of it. Because once, once you're able to just explain away a certain portion or certain portions, I should say, plural, not just one, but certain portions of scripture, which I think are, are very clear, um, then what's to stop you from doing the same with other portions, you know, yeah. and, and then it's it's a never-ending, it's a never-ending cycle, it's a never-ending kind of trajectory. And then at some point, now you're at a church that's affirming everything that the world is affirming. Yeah. You're you're not affirming anything that the Bible affirms, and now you look no different than the world. Yeah. So you've got to ask the question, what does the doctrine itself teach and touch on? Right. So if you listen to a theologian and they're arguing for women pastors, uh, I can find tons of arguments that do not change the gospel. They don't change the authority of Scripture. They don't deny the humanity and deity of Christ. They don't reject the Trinity. It's a major issue, uh, but it's not one that we would, you know, say you're an unbeliever. However, if you ask, you know, what many practicing women pastors believe, you're going to find rejection is a primary issues, but then that's what makes them an unbeliever. So, we, we need to be careful in that area. I, it's one of those areas that just gets very emotional for all sides. And so, um, so that's one. Um, secondary issues, by the way, uh, the most vehement and vigorous debates occur over these issues, yeah. uh, right? I mean, the, the baptism issue is not an ins- insignificant issue, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a command. Uh, we would see it clearly from our, our side, you have to do a bit of mental gymnastics to get to, you know, the pedo baptism side. And so it's it's also a significant issue, but it's a little different, right, uh, than a female pastor uh, who is usurping a position that doesn't belong to them. Um, yeah. I- any other thoughts on secondary issues from from your side or examples that maybe we should bring up? Uh, let's talk about critical race theory and intersectionality. Where? How do we judge those? Does someone leave a church over theirs? Do, do they break fellowship with a brother over those? How, what do yeah, we think and, about? Yeah, and even even when we talk about critical race theory and intersectionality, it's not as it's not a black and white switch. Um, for some, there's there's kind of a trajectory where some people believe it to some extent, and then some buy it full, you know, wholesale. I do. They, they buy it all. So we've got to ask questions. Yeah. You got to ask questions. What is it that the pastor believes? Cause I, I do, I have heard examples of pastors that will very quickly and readily affirm the true gospel, but will also believe that there is something there to critical race theory that we need to be sensitive mm-hmm. to. And, and to, to those brothers, um, I, I have no reason to believe they're not in the faith or that they're heretics, but that they're misled or they misunderstand or, um, or are lacking discernment over what the threat is. Um, but there are some people that buy into it completely, that believe that, look, um, for instance, uh, people of white skin color are inherently more evil. Right, people of um, darker skin color who are a part of minorities are inherently less evil, and or even even yeah. worse in some cases um, they're they're sin free or, or they they're already God's people, right? Uh, which mm-hmm. you know, if you ever study um, Black liberation theology, that's exactly what James Cone argues yeah. that those who are part of the oppressed and especially those who are black, they're already God's people, regardless of what they confess about Jesus Christ. Which means that they're not in need of any kind of atonement or um, forgiveness of sins, or they, he doesn't even recognize the need for forgiveness in their case, which is pretty much the same thing. So yeah. when, when we when we start to get into that realm, then we know we're dealing with a false gospel because the true gospel recognizes that all men are sinners. The true gospel recognizes that everyone is in need of repentance. And the true gospel reveals that everyone, anyone and everyone um, is given the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And if they if they repent and put their faith into Jesus Christ, they will be given eternal life, right? So that is the true gospel. But I think when you start to get into critical race theory, and especially when people buy into it completely, now you're getting into a, a partiality with God that doesn't exist and then a partiality with the Bible uh, and, and the gospel itself that doesn't exist. So at that point, I would say it's a false gospel. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would agree. Um, critical race theory, fully em- fully understood and fully embraced, yeah. is a primary issue because um, the crux of it, right, rejects the full atoning work of Christ. It, it directly yeah. attacks the atoning work of Christ. It makes um, the need for perpetual um, 
uh, the word slipping my mind. You all, you, you all reparations, right? Yeah. You, yeah. You're never totally forgiven if you're of one sin group. And there's lots of issues with it. But if someone were to fully understand it, fully embrace it and teach it, it attacks the atoning work of Christ. And so in my mind, if someone embraced that, um, but, but again, see, that, that's the issue. Critical race theory in and of itself is one thing. The problem is where it becomes a primary issue, and that's when it attacks the person and work of Christ, yeah. right? And so we have to be, again, we, we've got uh, to take a, a backseat um, and slow down a little bit and not let our emotions you know, get in front of us. Everyone who spouts something of critical race theory, it doesn't mean that they're rejecting the person work of Christ. Right. Um, and, and, and you mentioned that it may be that they don't really know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be that they agree with portions of it and not other portions of it. And so it's incredibly important when we're talking about breaking fellowship with someone as an unbeliever, when we're talking about leaving a church because of what they teach, it's incredibly important that we take the time, lest we find ourselves in sin, um, to really come to understand what it is they believe. Yeah. There is a such thing as cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. right? Um, we, we, we say one thing while believing something different, and the two just don't line up. That, that's a real thing, and we all have some of that in, in our beliefs. Um, if you were to really nail down what it is we believe, we might be confessing something that's slightly heretical, but not what we believe, right, in reality. Yeah, right, right. Um, it, you know, the Ar- Arminianism, for example, um, you can go back and listen to the podcast on that. Um, but it, just because you believe in free, you say you believe in free will, for example, doesn't mean that you truly believe man plays a part in his own salvation. Well, that's cognitive dissonance because those two things are totally antithetical to each other. And yet you have people who, say they believe in one thing, but when they explain what it is they believe, actually, it's, it's quite a bit more biblical. Um, and, and so, we, we've just, we can't be afraid to call people false teachers or heretics if they are, yeah. but I think, you know, in my estimation, it almost seems like th- there's a trend to being too comfortable w- with disfellowship and leaving you know, otherwise solid churches for those things. By all means, if your pastor is standing up there teaching that you're you're inherently sinful because you're white, uh, leave the church. Yeah, just leave the church. Uh, don't worry about what category he's in. Um, that's so unbiblical. You shouldn't be under that teaching. Uh, that's not to say that even that man won't come to repent and uh, see his error. And I I have no doubt that we're going to see some of that over the next several years. If you know, there aren't some examples already. Um, and in fact, I've heard examples already yeah. of people who initially bought into that. Yes. Um, brothers were patient with them, uh, pointed on the scripture. They came to see that they were wrong and they've moved on and, and rejected that. So we've, we've just got to be, we do have to be filled with grace in these issues. We don't overlook sin. Uh, we don't overlook the importance of the doctrines. But at the end of the day, we need to ask the question, what is the implication of this doctrine? Does it touch the person work of Christ, or is it a doctrine that a Christian could just wrongfully believe? Yeah. And that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And you were talking about Armenians. I mean, how many people will talk about free will and free choice and yet pray to God to save someone, right? Right. You know, that's where they show, even through their own behavior, that they need God's help, um, at the very least, to bring someone to salvation, which in that case— is it's either a sovereign work of God or it's going to be a sovereign work of, of man. Yeah. So yeah, we asking questions and then really thinking through um, what a person is saying and not saying, but then also thinking through the the trajectory of that where it's going to lead. Um, I would say that if you're at a church and you're starting to 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 detect signs of kind of wokeness, um, a, a belief in CRT at an early stage, um, I think it's helpful to talk to the pastor. Um, it, you know, express your concern, uh, find out what he says about it. Um, in, in later stages, um, you can still do that, but you know, there there also comes a point where um, look, you know, don't don't keep investing in a church that is teaching the truth falsely. Um, and, and I think even if I see signs of it in a church, if I'm going to that church and I'm sitting in the pew and I'm, I'm starting to see signs of that popping up mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and the after speaking to the pastor or elders, they don't see an issue. Um, yeah, at that point, I probably already leave, um, yeah. even if 
Um, it's really more of a confusion and, and not really just buying everything wholesale. Um, I, I might already leave just because of the, of the trajectory of what it is that they believe where it's going to take them. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it, there are a lot of genuine believers um, and, and churches out there and pastors who teach really bad theology that you shouldn't sit under, no. right? Um, or really shallow theology that you shouldn't sit under, unless it's the only church around. Um, and, and so, but again, you do all these things graciously. Uh, again, I think in, in our circles, in the reform circles, I'm just still, in, in my opinion, which is worth nothing, um, it, it appears that, that there's kind of a trend towards harshness and a very quick uh, kind of judgmental temper um, and, and still very emotional when it comes to a few issues like social justice, like critical race theory. Um, and, and, and you're right, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. If, if the church is just in the beginning of that and the, the leaders are just in the beginning of that and starting to you know, uh, talk about it, teach it, preach it, then, well, uh, to, to be honest, it is your duty as a Christian and a brother, and if you love them, right, to, to confront that in a right way first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. You know, now if they're full blown and it's, that's an entirely different thing, um, but that's your duty. And, and so you shouldn't just, well, they mentioned, um, you know, that we need to, you know, do X, Y, Z for injustices done in the past. Uh, we need to pray about, pray for that. Well, you, you can't just say, well, that's critical race theory. I'm out of here. That's not what you should do. You should go talk to them, find out what right. it is they believe, um, and maybe you can help. You know, steer the direction from Scripture. Um, otherwise, you know, if they're teaching that, then, then then you would just leave. But it doesn't make them unbelievers um, unless they fully understand, fully agree, and they're teaching that. There are definitely guys with large platforms that I would say are unbelievers because they teach so crystal clearly that the work of the cross is not enough, right, to unite us as believers based on our skin color, that something else more is needed, that's a primary issue, right? You're saying the, the work of Christ on the cross was uh, not sufficient, no. right? And, and when your belief gets to that, then if that's what you truly believe, then you're not a Christian, you know, and so, uh, but but we've got to think through and reason those things. Um, yeah, and I think all of this is consistent with Scripture. If you just read Scripture, you understand Scripture, you see how the gospel is presented, the way Jesus Christ conducted his ministry, the disciples and apostles, the way they conducted their ministry. I think you see that consistency all the way through. And, and really, we're just carrying on the tradition um, that is based upon the truth of God's word, as started with Jesus Christ and, and his apostles. Um, ask questions, go to the scriptures, um, ask yourself, um, does this align with scripture? If it doesn't, um, then where does it land? Where would it lead to? Um, those are all questions that we need to ask ourselves seriously and really discern what is worth dividing over and what is not. And as we have mentioned, if it's a gospel issue, then that is worth dividing over. If it's not a gospel issue, it does not mean it's necessarily not important. And, and this is, um, I'm going to bring this back to the SBC annual meeting, Rick Warren up there, made a statement that we need to um, focus on the primaries and not and not focus so much on the secondary issues. Well, he's, he's saying that because his own church had um, ordained three female pastors in, in one day. And so there were some serious questions as to whether he really affirms um, what SBC, what the SBC is supposed to believe when it comes to biblical patriarchy or complementarianism. And his response back was, uh, essentially that. Don't fo focus on the secondary, just focus on the primary, which is just preaching the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Well, the problem is if it's if we only should focus on the primary, then there's a lot of scripture that is in error. There's a lot of scripture that doesn't need to even be written. All that needs to be written in scripture is just the gospel itself, but that's not the case. Yeah. Paul gave a lot of instructions to the church, and those instructions are important. And when we go away from those instructions, just because they're not gospel issues, it doesn't mean that they're unimportant issues. And in many cases, there are issues worth fighting for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the whole book of Jude, there's no way you can read that book and say that contending for the faith was only just the, the gospel in and of itself, isolated right. from any other thing, right? Um, and so, yeah. And again, secondary issues 
are issues that may mean you cannot fellowship in that local church. No. And so this is consistent with being a secondary issue. Um, it's just some have the implications of some seem far worse than others. Um, and, and you, you know, if you're a Presbyterian and you believe in pedo-baptism, pedo-baptism doesn't ultimately lend itself to going to any kind of uh, abandonment uh, doctrine. You're not leaving the core tenets right. of the faith. Right. However, you know, uh, if you have uh, if you have critical race theory and it's bought into, it eventually does get to denying the efficacy of the atoning work of Christ. That's yep. a major issue. If you have a woman pastor, you know, it, it turns the entire order of the church on its head. And so it it could um, I, in almost all cases, it will eventually get to the rejection of the authority of Scripture, which is a primary issue. Yep. Um and, and so, but you've got to ask those questions. And, it, and even if they don't, um, they're issues that, you know, they, they would just bar some fellowship. Um, in some cases, like woman pastor, you just don't, you just, you just don't have a church. I mean, by definition, if you have a female pastor, you do not have a church because you're a church with no shepherd, right? Uh, and so, you're, you're just a, a bunch of Christians meeting in a building. No one's being shepherded. No one's being pastored. You don't have a church, um, and so go find one. Critical race theory—it's a harder one. You've got to ask questions, right? And you know, and I think we—you know—we've got to come back to the fact that none of us have a perfect theology. Um, you know, it, uh, we would argue using R.C. Sproul as an example. I like using him as an example. Um, because he's far more brilliant than I'll ever be. Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for R.C. Sproul. I have um, just gotten tremendous aid in my own walk uh, through his books and uh, through yeah. Ligonier uh, Ministries, um, but totally wrong on infant baptism. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not even near um, the astuteness of R.C. Sproul. And so we need to approach all of these things with grace. Uh, when someone demonstrates that they believe the core uh, tenets of the faith, then I, I think um, they, they deserve patience and grace with these other issues, right? Um, and if what they believe touches the primary doctrines, then we just call a spade a spade, right? We, we have no issue doing that. Well, let's move on to tertiary issues. Um, and I hope this is helpful for people. Just if nothing else, to cause people to reconsider and rethink. You may come to the same conclusions, but let, let the text drive your conclusions, not right. your emotions. Tertiary right. issues, um, you know, for me, I would say tertiary issues are just simply doctrines that cause no hindrance of fellowship w- even within the local church at all. Yeah. Um, there are differences in uh, some, you know, minor hermeneutical differences, uh, different interpretations of the text, um, they make no uh, real or significant difference in uh, the, the walk in the Christian life necessarily. So, right, right. And then just as we were talking about earlier about the, um, the women as deacons, and I, and I mentioned if we view deacons as just being servants, then for me, it's tertiary because I could easily worship at a church that has female deacons. I could worship at a church that doesn't. Now, for some who are driven by a different conviction, that might become a secondary issue where you say, look, I'm not saying that they're not Christian, but I can't worship at a church that has um, recognized as deacons women. You know, So that, that becomes uh, tertiary. But I, li- I do like that de- definition. And a lot of this um, comes down to issues of conscience. You know, where we may not have something that's crystal clear in the scriptures, but it's left to your conscience, for instance, things that we eat. And that's often an example given in scripture, you know, um, be beware of making the weaker brother stumble or, you know, beware of arguing over which day you should be worshiping and things like that. There may be other Christians that really feel that Saturday should be the day that they worship because that's the consistent day that the people of God would always worship. Well, I would argue that from church history, we see a different tradition forming, um, but that's a that that's not that's not an issue that I'm gonna I'm gonna quibble over because as but long you're not as you're talking about God, becoming Seventh Day Adventist though. no 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 that Seventh Day Adventist <laughs> has its own has far more problems than just that yeah. let me just say that yeah. and then oftentimes um Sabbatarians those who want to worship yeah. on a Saturday yeah. often have other issues beyond that but that issue by itself you know yeah. I don't have a problem with a Christian that says I want to worship on Saturday and go to a church that meets on Saturday that's fine too. Yeah, and so I would put as an example under tertiary issues, I would actually put eschatological issues. 
yeah. uh, under this note. Some guys might put it secondary. I would put it tertiary. Um, you find, you know, the same guys in one church. Um, and we're talking about generally speaking, you, you, you look at what you would want in leadership and that would be a little different maybe, but, uh, generally speaking in one body, you can have people of several, you know, uh, different eschatological views. It wouldn't hinder their fellowship. It wouldn't hinder taking the Lord's supper together or, you know, anything else in terms of the life of the local church. Um, there, there just wouldn't be any hindrances there. So that would be another one that I would put under in that category myself. Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, I think when we think about fellowship, there is so much about our current walk today. There's so much truth about God and Jesus Christ and the gospel and the doctrines that we get out of the Bible. You could go all day, all month, all year talking about all those things and and never even touch the differences that are there in eschatology. There are a lot of people that follow me who would probably unfollow me if they knew I was a premillennialist. So if you're listening right now and I see my (laughs) follower count drop, I'll know why. But here's the thing, even if that's enough to make you unfollow me, my question would be, well, did you? Did, what part of what I believe did you disagree with before? Uh, is there anything about the gospel? Is there anything about Bible truth that you've seen me uh, tweet about or anything I've talked about on social media that you would disagree with? And I would argue for those who really understand the Bible, the answer is probably going to be no. You know, So why make a, a big issue yeah. out of this? Now, I do understand that a church needs to take a position, all right? So, I mean, a given church, a given denomination, it's good to take a position. um, But for the most part, um, it's not, you know, we all agree that Jesus Christ is coming back. We all agree that there's an eternal state. We're going to be with God uh, in heaven forever. It's just a matter of some of the details in between. And those things over time, we're all going to see them perfectly. Yeah. And and this is area where, you know, since you confess that, you know, I guess it's been a year, um, it, you know, some of the guys who know your positions and follow you, maybe they don't realize I'm I'm not a pre-mill guy. Yeah. I'm an all-mill guy. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we differ in this and, you know, you've taught in my church and I preach in your church. Yeah, you preach in my church. Um, That's right. And it, I mean, look at uh, the guys who MacArthur has in his church. They're yeah. not all pre-mill guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's an issue where, and you're, and you're right. And I would say this, I mean, it has to stay where it is in the level of doctrines. And if someone, you know, if someone would unfollow you for that, uh, well, they probably aren't following me already, but uh, you, you can just take me off your list too. But because uh, you got your priorities wrong. Um, That's right. But, you know, it, if it, it's one of those issues where it absolutely matters, it's important doctrine. It can, if you let it, um, affect things in your life. But generally speaking, if you're faithful to what the positions teach, um, you could go a really long time without knowing what a person believes in that area, a, a pastor, until they're you know, they're touching on end time subject, and then inevitably you would. Uh, get a feel for that. But until you're perfectly faithful in your day-to-day life with all that the Bible has for you to do right now, um, no one should be ever breaking fellowship uh, over, you know, eschatological views. Now, there are some strange things when you start getting into the post-mill theonomist, but that's a little different category. Yeah. Um, And anything can be taken to an extreme. In fact, I would argue that any of the three positions you take, whether it's there's an extreme, or, yeah, there's an extreme that I think is unhealthy yeah. and and perhaps even even heretical. But even if we look at the example of our podcast, and and we were talking about this before we aired, um, I, I've probably done half, maybe 50, 50 plus episodes um, with you yeah. on Truth Be Known. We've touched a number of different topics, a lot of topics that affect the church. We've gone deep into them. And in all cases, unless we absolutely intentionally um, look to pull out something about eschatology, someone who's listening would never know that we had a difference because it didn't affect our views on any of these other major issues that we thought was facing the church. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, other than that, you know, the two of us have, are, are in agreement with just about everything we've yeah, said. Right. Um, you know, how, how we might apply things uh, is different, but that's just common and normal, right? Yeah, right. We live in different places with different people in our churches and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, tertiary issues are just those kind of things. And, uh, you know, and I will say this, on Twitter, a lot of fights that I see really are tertiary or even worse, um, you know, they fall into the area of just pure Christian liberty. And so, you know, if you're on social media, and I would just say this even for myself, right? I mean, we all um, need to guard against this because social media does, I think, 
inherently have a temptation um, for whatever reason. I, I it would be hard for me to believe there is a, a single person that isn't tempted at some stage on social media to cross the lines in some at some times. Uh, whether they do or not is a different issue, but the temptation is there just because of the nature of the beast, so to speak. Um, but I, I see a lot of raging battles over tertiary issues, right? Um, if if you don't, you know, think you should be eating X, Y, or Z, uh, and that's your conviction, praise God, go with it. Um, but how dare you impose that on someone else because it's not biblical, right. not right. even a secondary issue. Um, and we see these kind of things. Normally, there are other issues, right? Severe immaturity mm-hmm. being yeah. being prominent, I think, amongst them. But um, anyway, so I hope this has been helpful. I, I don't have anything else to add, uh, actually. And we've I don't even, we've gone on for a little bit, but the purpose of doing this uh, podcast is really just to help people see what are those issues where we would have to say, you are not a Christian. What are those issues that would lead us to say, you know what, you are my brother in Christ, you are my sister in Christ, but we're so different in these areas that we really couldn't be in a local church together. Um, And then what are those issues where we really can just disagree to agree or just recognize that there's personal conviction involved um, and, and be aware of that for each other. So I hope that this has done that and that this has been helpful. And with that, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.